This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, May 3rd of 2018, it's episode 132. In this episode, Mike Perna of Inroads Ministries joins us to talk about board games that tell stories. Plus, our favorite foods, Tavern Con, a happy birthday to the Min Max podcast, and a truly massive list of all the games we mentioned in this show in the show notes. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Mike. Mike's back. Mike's back. Yeah, every 33. And I'm Mike. <laughs> oh my goodness, it has been 33 episodes. Mike, how you doing, ma'am? I'm doing good. Uh, yes, good. This is this is what we're going with, good. I hear the tired, weirded out sounds of a new father. I, as we said, you know, before we got recording, my baby does sleep very well, but sadly he sleeps like his dad in that when he gets to sleep, he's like a rock. Nothing will move him. But however, it is a constant battle to actually get him to sleep. Mm. So thankfully, as of right now, he is asleep upstairs, so he should be good until the morning. Oh, there you go. Uh, and as I was telling you, I'm horribly jealous because my children still occasionally have trouble sleeping through the night. I, I, I am very, I'm very blessed with an amazing baby. He's super cute and he looks like his mom and, uh, he sleeps through the night. And there's an amazing amount of overlap between the listeners of our podcast and your listeners. But there's a short version of the story that basically says that, uh, my wife struggles with bipolar and the first month of our child's life was, kind of hell on earth yeah and so Mm. the good lord has blessed us with a baby that graciously does not need a lot of maintenance this kid is is so chill and so wonderful and yeah i he really is a blessing that's fantastic mike you probably don't need a lot of introduction to our regular listeners but in case somebody tunes in for the first time and goes who's this mike guy (laughs) um jenny kind of started on this at the beginning (laughs) and Mike, Jenny, Jenny, Mike. This yeah, is the I was, first time I was you two have been on the same episode. Oh, you're right. It is. <laughs> yeah, I've never met Mike before. No, you, you get exciting. into you get into a groove, and then you you start realizing. In fact, it was earlier today at work. We were listening to some music, and, and a song from No Doubt came on, and I said, "I feel really old." And you're <laughs> like, "What? Do, what do you mean?" I said, "Because I remember going to a concert when this CD came out." And I remember how young I was when that happened. <laughs> oh, man. So sometimes you just kind of settle into a groove and you forget that large amounts of time have passed. Hey, tell me about <laughs> it. My wife got me today. You know how old the Numa Numa song is? Oh, don't. No, don't do it. Don't. Don't do it. Do it. 14 years old. And I can accept that. I'm fine with that. How about the rest of you? You know the guy's <laughs> still got a website going with active forums? Why wouldn't wow. he? Why wouldn't he? I mean, it's kind <laughs> of amazing. Honestly. I work with a guy who's old enough to drink who was born the year I graduated from high school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have an advantage over us, but still. Mm-hmm. Okay, we should probably move forward before this just gets to be like, get off my lawn hey, hour. Hey, Oh, no, no, don't don't worry. We'll come back to the get off my lawn when we get back to the main topic. Yeah. Don't you worry. But, Mike, in case somebody does not know who you are, introduce yourself for us, please. I am Mike Perna. Uh, The people around here would probably notice me as, let's just put on all my various hats. I am the president of Inroads Ministries. I am the host of both the Game Store Profits and the Bard and Bible podcast. 
I am a board member of the Bodana Group. Uh, let me see. I think that's all of the various titles that I wear that <laughs> would be pertinent to what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> Mike is basically the distilled essence of everything that we do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should also mention that at least through those things, you're running Tavern Con. I am running Tavern Con. I'm very excited because we've had a couple uh, game companies, game publishers who have sent us stuff. We've got a couple others that have said, yes, we will be sending you stuff. We just haven't sent it yet. So I, I've got this pile of games sitting next to me, sadly, that I, I cannot open, nor can I play, that I actually have to hand to other people because, you know, I, every year I have to remind myself that Inroads Ministries board members cannot win the raffle. <laughs> <laughs> It was especially it was especially painful the one year. Now we haven't heard back from them yet, so I don't know if they're going to do it this year or not. But one, but multiple years we have had donations from the good people at Monty Cook Games. And the one year, actually, the first year I reached out to them, I said, "Hey, if you guys have anything just sitting around in your warehouse, we're a nonprofit. We're a registered five hundred one c three. We would love it if you guys would donate something because we love what you guys do." And any Numenera nerds that are listening right now, um, they sent us a reliquary box set. Uh, the reliquary is a – let's just put it this way. It it's contains, very, contains a relic from a saint? No. <laughs> but but they, they price it like it does. <laughs> no, it, it basically has a lot of very, very pretty versions of the, the all of the important books for Numenera. It has a cloth map. It has all sorts of different stuff for individual players. It has a set of dice. It has – I could go on. I literally had to show that to my wife and say, look – Look at all of this stuff, catalog it in your mind, because if any of this is still here after TavernCon, you need to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the short version of TavernCon is that it is our annual fundraiser. It is 10 hours of open gaming. Uh, we just get a bunch of people to just hang out. It is free to get in, which seems odd because it's a fundraiser, but that's how we get you. <laughs> we get you in and then we have meals that are available, swag that you can buy. There are a couple different events that require a cost, but one thing that we've always said since we started doing this is that we don't want anybody to feel like they can't come if they don't have money. So mm. we always wanted people to be able to come. So that's why we have no cost at the door, mm -hmm. uh, but we take donations and, and even with the food, we even have some food that doesn't cost anything because we believe in feeding people who are there playing for 10 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When is Tavern Con and where is it? Tavern Con is June 9th, it, so roughly about a month after we're recording this. Yeah, and unfortunately, probably like a week and a half after the episode drops. Yeah. So That's fine. That's fine. Uh, if you are in the area of Warren, New Jersey, uh, it is taking place there at my home church, which is called Stonecrest Community Church. Uh, they have graciously been hosting us for the past two years. And uh, it's going to be an absolute blast. So if you're listening to that and you go, wow, I'd really love to contribute to this wonderful ministry that uses tabletop gaming to reach people for the love of Jesus. We actually have places where you can do that. So feel free, even if you can't make it to TavernCon. <laughs> Indeed. Is there a URL for TavernCon? Uh, not yet. I'm literally working on that. This is, okay. this is the... The joys of a very busy season in my life. So, so this is the I will make sure to link it in the show notes section of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it is It is upcoming. The URL is upcoming, but does not exist as of time of recording. Fair enough. 
We have one last little thing on here. Well, hold on. I, okay. I want to talk real quick about Barden Bible, too. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So this is a cool thing. I, okay. First of all, I don't think we actually said a lot about game store profits or inroads ministries. If you're at all interested in board games, good news. You're listening to the right episode. And <laughs> second, Game Store Profits is the podcast for you. A lot of really good in-depth investigation of board games and uh, Christianity and you know, kind of everything around those topics, I would say. And both Grant and Peter have appeared on it at different times throughout our years of doing this. I um, I think I just did that special episode on Darkest Dungeon, but yeah. Y you were both, you both did a little voice thing for our episode 100 when I got yeah. literally everybody who we've ever talked to ever. You guys both were on an episode way back in the day, back before, you know, even the, the hosts were different back then. Yeah. And yes, Peter and I did gush about how awesome Dark Dun Darkest Dungeons is. And could probably do so again now that it's... There's so much new <laughs> content, oh, that new content and all the new great. stuff has come out. Yeah. Yep. Okay, but tell us about Barden Bible, because I too few people know about this. It's funny, because it's like most projects that people do because they're passionate about it. It's my favorite thing that I do, and yet nobody else listens to it. <laughs> no, uh, to be fair, lots of people do. It's It's been a blast. Barden Bible was basically my... Uh, at one point, I sat down and... I've had a very interesting run on the way I do church, uh, basically due to the, the the format that my church allows and the the structure that my church has. Uh, I spend most of my church service in the church lobby, uh, mostly connecting with people who have been there for both services, for people who have served at both. Uh, we do basically back-to-back -back services. So you've already heard the, the, the entirety of the service for the first time. So there's a lot of people who like sing for it and then come out and they're just hanging out. And I'm like, well, these people need to be ministered to as well. So I just decided I was going to sit out in the lobby. And through the course of this, I said, you know what, guys? I went through seminary and I, I know how to do a sermon. And basically, I can tell you what a sermon is generally going to look like within five minutes of you starting. And because of this, it's really easy for me to disconnect from a sermon. So I had that conversation, oddly enough, with one of my pastors. <laughs> if you're going to have it with anyone. Well, yeah. Well, and I wanted to make it clear. I'm like, it is not because I, I have any kind of disregard for the work that you do. I have a ton of regard for the work that you do because I know how much goes into prepping and making that happen. And and the pastor that I talked to was a longtime friend of mine. He He's the one who performed my, my wedding. I remember him looking at me and he goes, honestly, I feel the same way. He goes the only thing that I get out of a sermon is when I'm preparing it. And I realized that's true. I don't miss sermons. I miss preparing for them. I miss the demand of saying, I need to dig into a piece of scripture in a way that I can communicate it to somebody else. So not only do I have to know what it is, I have to be able to kind of bring that down into a way that anybody who's listening to me can, can understand it. And so I'm like, well, I, I, there's no way I'm going to be preaching a sermon anytime soon. So why don't I just do a devotional podcast? And I realized very quickly that there's like 18,000 of them <laughs> and many of them created by mega pastors who have Sunday school classes larger than my entire church. So what, what would I do to kind of separate myself from that. And it was basically what I referred to as, as the Barden Bible, a conversational devotional where 
basically I just sit around and I tell stories and relate them to the Bible verses that I'm looking at and kind of just have a conversation with the people listening to me. And yeah, we have a fairly small audience. Uh, the downloads basically show that uh, Game Store Profits gets downloaded way more than Barden Bible, but I love what happens at, at BNB because it really is just straight up. I want to just talk to people about the Bible and talk to people about what happens there and look at how weird things are. I did an entire little mini series of episodes where I basically said, hey, these are all people in your Bible that you didn't realize existed because you just it's really easy to just overlook them. And and I love doing stuff like that. I love looking at passages that we've seen over and over and over again and saying, gosh, did you ever really think about the words you're reading? Because I didn't for years. And so that that's basically what Bard and Bible has become. It's me just kind of chatting over scripture stories. It's fantastic. I have not managed to listen to every episode, but the ones I have listened to, I really have enjoyed. I, I've been really blessed by the response that people have given me to Bard and Bible. It's really cool to to hear people say how they've connected. I have a friend who, oddly enough, works at the seminary that we both went to now. And she told me that she and her boys will sit and have breakfast and listen to Barden Bible. And so there was one episode that I literally dedicated to them and I, I addressed them directly. And I said, I'm like, I'm like, Sharifa, what the boys think? She goes, you blew their minds. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, that kind of, I love that kind of stuff. And I'm excited that I get to do it. It's great. That's lovely. All right. We do want to move on. Um, I mean, I would love to turn this into basically just an impromptu Barden Bible episode. Don't get me wrong, but we have other <laughs> stuff we here, have to talk here, about. Here, here's my plug. Here's my plug. Peter's going to be on Barden Bible. Yeah, I'll be uh, doing a joint episode with Derek White, actually. Oh, oh man, nice. I can't yeah, wait. It all, it all comes full swing because the reason I did this, and hopefully I'm going to be doing this again, uh, I, I do want to see what the audience likes because, I mean, you whether we like it or not, we have to admit that if nobody's listening, then we, you know, what are we doing? But for all intents and purposes, because I, I'm just already looking into the future and realizing this is going to be a hit, um, I'm hoping to do this annually because TavernCon takes up a lot of my time. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And running a podcast, let alone two, is a significant amount of stuff that has to get come together. And so what I decided was, I said, well, what if I get I think I know a lot of nerdy people who love Jesus and love talking about him. Why don't I call some of them? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And so, yeah, so so one of them that's going to be happening is uh, it was funny because literally this was the conversation that happened. De I, I have messenger windows on Facebook open for Derek <laughs> and Peter. And Derek says, gosh, I'd love to do it, but I kind of I, I love dialogue. So maybe I should do it with somebody else. Here comes Peter. Yeah, I'd really love to do it, but I, I don't really know if I'm going to be the one to do it. Maybe if, if I had somebody to do it with. And I'm like, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I remember one of the other things that I said after we'd kind of figured that out was, hey, you should go bug Ashley Mowers. And he was like, I asked her literally a minute before I opened the window to talk to you. Been there and done that. And and if you want to do that plug, too. Yeah, Ashley's yeah. going to do one. Too. Yeah, so... um. Quick note as well, um, the MinMax podcast, which we have mentioned before, they are probably the other podcast closest to what we do, I would say. Mm -hmm. 
that I know of. It's there, possible there, there are others. They're much more focused on like general geek culture and theology yeah. as opposed to being a straight up gaming um, podcast, they, they, which I is yeah. interesting. I suppose the, that's the true. last episode that I heard, they basically are doing the Avengers movie. So yeah, you're not, yeah. You're not wrong. You're right. They've kind of moved in that direction. Good point. Or maybe I just thought they were because like the ones I picked up on were were specifically RPG. Related. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. This is just for clarity because, oh, dear Lord. Yes, they most certainly do talk about nerdy gaming stuff. Yeah, they oh, have yeah. five like they're, actual they're, play episodes. Yeah, their oh, yeah. Nintendo yeah. series is great. <laughs> Which they're, they're we're actually going to do one. of. There's going to be a crossover there, too. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're working on one as well. Um, yeah. So anyways, yeah, the, the day that this episode drops will be a week after their one year anniversary of starting their podcast last year Yay! so congrats yeah. welcome Fantastic. to the uh, long-term podcast club min max yes, you've officially <laughs> made it longer than most podcasts than most yep. yeah <laughs> you made it past episode four you done it yeah yep. you made it past the uh the one year threshold too which is the other yep. big one so that's mm-hmm. a huge one yeah all right all that done, we should move on because I want to get started with the Patreon question. And of course, Mike, you're welcome to answer with us. I'm going to go ahead and roll a die here real quick. I'm excited. This is something else that got added since the last time I was on. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, here we go. So this is actually from another podcaster, Fernando over at the Retro Rewind podcast. What is your favorite food? And if you could only get it at one place on the planet, how far away would you be willing to travel to get it? I've got it. No name, all dressed chips, which is one of the most Canadian things I could ever say besides like poutine <laughs> covered in maple syrup. But I understood that. What, what was this? <laughs> OK, so no, no name is a brand. It's a food and stuff that you'd find in a grocery store brand. However, they are not known anywhere outside of Canada because uh, they are able to cut significant costs by literally not advertising at all. Wait a minute. They are the, they are the yellow they are the yellow label with black text generic brand. That's right. no name. Yeah, they it make looks the, like a movie prop. Yeah, they make the absolute best all-dressed chips I've ever had, ever. Bar what none. is all-dressed? All-dressed? I don't even know what all-dressed involves. <laughs> okay. I think it involves... Um, Ground up peppers and uh, vinegar and spices, and it's just a really lovely taste. And Ooh. I've never tasted it outside of all dressed chips. They just happen to be my favorite chips in the world. And I would literally cross the galaxy to get to get those chips. Okay. Okay. I, um, uh, two things. Here comes Blairy. And second, okay. do, do. please throw a small bag of those into the cheese exchange. We will do Absolutely. that. <laughs> uh, fun fact, there is no such thing as a small bag of no-name all-dressed chips. All right. So you're having a big one. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Huh. Favorite food. Uh, my problem is um, I kind of want to cop out and say, well, it's one I haven't tried yet, right? But that's that's cheating. You could take my other favorite. Which I also seriously considered saying and just say that you want that instead. You know, I've, I think I've got one. <laughs> There's right. a Mexican place near me that makes absolutely incredible tacos. These are tacos loaded with cilantro and onion, a mix of steak and chorizo and ground beef with a fresh lime squeezed into them. They are incredible. They're just these incredibly savory, almost puckeringly sour tacos in a weird way from that lime juice. My mouth is watering. They're so good. I would drive a state for those easily. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, authentic tacos are really good. The uh, taco truck that uh, my coworkers and I get them from on Fridays during the the warm season should be opening soon. And oh my, I look forward to that tradition beginning again. Mike, you got a, a clean answer? I'm still pondering mine. I it, It's hard because it makes me want to just ask, what genre are we looking at here? <laughs> Um, uh, sci-fi but, food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, don't get me wrong. I would also go to India for Indian food, right? right. I mean, yeah. Come on, yeah. it's so good. But like, I can't name one specific item. I, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go with the first thing that came to mind because, it, you know, in 20 minutes, I'm gonna come up with something else because, yeah. you know, I, I too am a lover of all things food. But there's one thing that I have often dubbed. Uh, the greatest confection that mankind has ever made. It is the cannoli. Oh, boy. A good cannoli. I have vivid memories of every year for all the years that I was doing youth ministry with this one church, we would go to Boston to uh, do some some work there. And every year there was one day where it's like, all right, look, today is the day to just go into Boston and just enjoy ourselves. And Way too long was spent standing in a line to get uh, – there was this little place. And oddly enough, it was called Mike's. <laughs> and they made cannolis that will just I, – I mean, I'd order six of them. And just for the, the entirety of the week, <laughs> we would just be gnawing on these things because they were just <laughs> – they were amazing. And they were the size of your fist. And it was beautiful. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So I, I will I, – that – yeah. Probably homemade beef stroganoff, I guess, and uh, having to travel for it would um, imply that I that I and my wife somehow forgot how to make it. So <laughs> I, 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 uh, to the grocery store, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's like- okay. So, so Peter, Peter, imagine that there has been some sort of apocalyptic event. And you happen to know through GPS technology and and spy work and stuff that the only ingredients left to make that beef stroganoff that you like making are somewhere. And you happen to know where that is. What would be the farthest you'd be willing if it was literally the last ingredients available? I feel like in a post-apocalyptic scenario, I would look sadly at the data and go back to trying to survive. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a couple blocks. Got it. Um, I, I'd probably go at least the next town over for, for that. I mean, the, the thing is kind of like everybody else in here, I think it's just, I like a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. and my palate has gotten broader as I've become an adult. Like I'd never had, um, uh, shawarma or kifta until I started working at this job, but there's mm. a place that does really good Lebanese food. It's it's attached to a gas station too. It's weird, but it's <laughs> the food is amazing. Why why is it that the best non-white Western food I've had has been in like the weirdest places? Like why is that? Why? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, some of the best shawarma I've all this ever amazing had. food in like these tiny little like unassuming locations. Yeah, yeah. Well, I assume it's also you know well we've already got one business. Let's open another. Or I know a guy who's got this business i'll see if i can get a space from them like something like that sure yeah interestingly every lebanese place that i've seen down here has also been in somewhat odd places Hmm. there's actually a chain of them is they just call it mediterranean food up here called pita pita that's pretty good i I think i've um, heard of them yeah it's 
I'd never had that kind of food before I started at this current job, and it's really good. So there you go. We sort of answered um, <laughs> the question, I guess. No, I, yeah. I think that does answer it. That answers it pretty well. It's a good question. Thank you uh, to the Retro Rewind podcast for sending that in to us. And if you want to get your own question on our list, just uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. If you are already a Patreon supporter of ours, make sure you have a question in our backlog. Uh, if you aren't sure how to get to the table of questions, just hit us up or uh, look through our post history on Patreon. It is there and you can make sure you are up to date because we are always in need of questions. We have a large backlog but it's from a couple of listeners and we would love to get a, a variety of listeners involved yeah. there we go all right let's move on to our scripture and then let's get into our main topic here who wants to start us off with proverbs i can proverbs chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 the lord detests dishonest scales but accurate weights find favor with him when pride comes then comes disgrace but with humility comes wisdom the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Uh, this is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Mike, do you want to take the First Corinthians ones? Oh, sure. First Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, Mike, we brought you on for this episode to talk about board games. I knew this day would come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow, despite you being on three times in the past, we have never gotten around to talking with you explicitly about board games. We've had too much else to talk about, and it's been awesome. Well, yeah, to, to be fair, I, I do greatly enjoy many things in the tabletop RPG world. So we've had no shortage of things to discuss. Right. Yeah. And we've certainly hit on board games in those previous conversations because that's right. something you know a great deal about and can give really interesting examples from. But we've never been like, Mike, let's talk about cool board games. <laughs> so, Mike, we're going to talk about cool board games. <laughs> Can you hear the like the the rapid hand movements I'm making at my monitor? I hope you can. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm I'm well versed in this. All right, good. <laughs> but I do kind of want to touch on a little bit because what I kind of want to talk about here is um, board games that tell a story, right? Uh, games that are more than just like a, a purely tactical, strategic experience, right? I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy chess. Chess is really cool. There is not a great deal of story to chess. There's a great deal of two. The story of chess as a game throughout the ages, but an individual game of chess, not a great deal of plot. Yeah, it's been yeah. so abstracted that any that might mm -hmm. have been there before is gone. <laughs> right. It, it's especially fun to break down what all the different pieces on a chessboard represent, because chess ultimately is a war game. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a political one, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, especially... 
in this huge resurgence of both board games and role-playing games that has come about partly from indie design spaces, partly from crowdfunding, partly from various other uh, influences on the hobby. There's been this interesting blurring between board games and role-playing games. These are not siloed off from each other. Oh, yeah. No, there is a a huge, huge overlap anymore. In fact, uh, one thing that I didn't even bother to put in the notes, I literally just remembered it. There was actually a board game publisher that recently put out not only a rule set, but a setting uh, for a role-playing game. It is Overlight, put out by Renegade (gasps) Games. I was just going to talk about that, actually. Oh, great. I'm really so, looking forward to that. I, uh, one of my, like, I was actually talking over, uh, Overlight with my group and I was like, Hey, I'd love to run a game in this. And one of the people in, in my group literally was just like, I will give you a $20 bill if you get this for us. <laughs> That's amazing. And then lo and behold, there was a $20 bill in my hand and I was like, All right, I'm backing it. <laughs> but yeah, Overlight, Overlight is put out by a board game company. This is their first yeah. foray into role playing games. Awesome. Very exciting. Watch this now. <laughs> I, I'm going to make sure to get, As I uh, open get another tab. It has <laughs> one of the cleanest, easiest to understand character sheets I've ever looked at in my life. It really cool. does. Oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. All right, I will make sure to link that and probably every other game that I can catch as we mention it in the show notes. So there, there don't, will be don't many, worry don't that. worry. Yeah, but now, you know, it's funny. We talk about this, though, as if it's a new thing, right? Okay, oh, hey, this game, they just kickstarted this. This goes back all the way to the origins of Dungeons and Dragons when the one of the first rule sets published included suggestions on which board game to buy to use uh, the pieces of and rules for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> back in the day, you know, we look we look at miniatures in role playing games and think, oh, that just makes sense. When role playing games were being created, they were built off of the the backs of old school war games. Yeah, they were miniature strategy war games. And these guys basically came back and said, oh, what if we made them fictional characters and actually right. gave them statistics other than how heavy they hit? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and made but, them but, about a person. But what if story? But what if right. personality? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What if story? What if story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you guys just made another T-shirt. <laughs> uh, it's not original, sadly. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things that – has. It always surprises me when I look at it and go, oh, that seems to blur. It blurs the line just like everything else I've been looking at for 10 years, Grant. What what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, And what's kind of funny is, you know, we think, oh, it, it blurs it from like the board game side. Like I always think of it as, huh, this board game is encroaching on the role playing game space. Uh, I'm looking at some of those like huge box games that are basically like a tactical role playing game. Like Gloomhaven oh, yeah. and the like. Gloomhaven, sure. Um, that's that's actually what I was thinking of. Somebody brought that to demo for our um, bo- recent board game weekend we did. But you know, there are plenty of role playing games that start to encroach on the the very tactical figure based stuff even now. You know, because sometimes that is fun. And there are even ones that aren't that encroach from a different direction in that they are all about telling stories rather abstractly uh i'm thinking of ones like once upon a time which i I absolutely love that game yeah so i have a good news um i have been sitting on that game for years finally got to break it out i first played it at fear the con 5 
Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. Well, it was cool because it was before the con started. We um, sat down and we played it like in the hotel lobby. I can't remember the I remember the guy's name, but I don't want to like say his name on right. air. I can't mm-hmm. I cannot remember his forum handle, uh, but he's a guy who taught English in Japan uh, and had flown into the U.S. for fear of the con. He used Once Upon a Time to help teach his students English. Yep. Because oh. it's telling stories. And it's like, yeah, you have to read the cards and you have to tell the story in English. Okay. I, I feel as if I should give an explanation to those who are, you know, uninitiated in what Once Upon a Time is. Please. Once Upon a Time is a collection of cards. Every person is dealt a number of cards depending on how many people are playing. And you are also receiving an end line. Basically, the this story has to go until you literally say this line. The way you win is by telling a story that uses all the cards in your hand. The cards in your hand are the elements of storytelling. They are people, they are descriptions, they are actions, etc. So you'll my my favorite card bar none is this animal can talk. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. there's lots of stuff. In fact, I, it was only recently in the newest edition of Once Upon a Time, they finally listened to us and put a dragon card in the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. That's so good. But so so you, everybody at the table starts, well, one person starts telling a story. And ultimately, their goal is to keep telling the story, to use up every card in their hand and bring the story logically. You can't just randomly say it. You have to logically get to your end line. The problem being that everybody has a hand of cards, and if you mention something that is on a card they have, they play that card, and they become the storyteller, bringing the story to their end line. And there are some category cards that let you interrupt whenever a specific category of thing is mentioned. Yeah. So, right. yeah, There's also a variant rule that my friends and I came up with where every card is an interrupt card. Every single one. That one was very fun and was fun for about, you know, five minutes until we were just like, this is chaos. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I'll say this as well. My five-year-old daughter had a lot of fun playing Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time with me. The only trouble she had was holding all the cards. Uh, and so I, what, we, what we ended up doing actually was just laying them out in front of each other. You know, that way I could kind of help her. In, and she didn't have to deal with, like, struggling to hold 11 cards because you start off with 11 cards when you're playing or 12 when you're playing with two people. And five-year-old hands don't handle that well. Um, right. <laughs> but no. every once in a while, I'll be like, you have this one. Uh, but once we kind of set a ground rule of, like, one card, a sentence, no more, it turned into it, – it really flowed very naturally even for a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I actually have a plan uh, as to how I'm going to introduce my, my son to storytelling. Using Once Upon a Time. It's a good choice. Because what's going to end up happening, and I've done this to myself, I've literally just dealt myself a hand of cards and just used it as a story writing prompt. But I actually have a plan where it's going to be, like, he's four months old at present. So I I will say that I am that nerd who reads him instructions by Neil Gaiman, but (laughs) he... He's still he's four. He doesn't know what these words mean. Eventually, though, he's going to get a little bit bigger and he's going to want story time with dad. And I could just read him something or I could make up a story and I'm going to have him deal out cards for me and I'm going to use them to tell a story. Ooh. Eventually, that's going to shift and I'm going to say, 
all right, Noah, it's your turn. And he and I will deal out the cards and deal with that together. And then eventually it's going to be, all right, all right, son, here you go. Boom, boom, boom. Here are your cards. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. Um, you know, I kind of did something similar with my daughter when she was younger, like three or early four with Carcassonne, where it was just, we're not going to worry about playing the game. We're just going to take these tiles and, you know, have fun laying out a map. Yeah. And it just kind of, it was teaching her, you know, to pay attention to to details and not get frustrated when the very first spot she picked didn't work, <laughs> um, <laughs> which turns out to be an important life skill. <laughs> but, you know, you, you can, you can use them for all sorts of things. That's great. But to move away from Once Upon a Time, which I could talk about for an entire podcast, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of those games where it kind of encroaches on that role-playing space, but it's encroaching from a dramatic perspective rather than a proce- procedural or mechanical approach. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that I kind of want to talk about here. A, I think it's a little more suited to our podcast, and B, there are plenty of like video playthroughs and reviews of those tactical, complicated, mechanically engaging board games, which I love. Those are amazing, right? It's so much fun to have those on the table and have all these pieces moving and, and involved. Those are great. But some of these more story-oriented games, it's harder to grasp that from, like, a video playthrough. And yeah. I want to talk about those. Well, not only do you have the ones that are procedurally generated, there's a thing going on right now uh, where it's hard to review certain board games because there's plot-relevant stuff that you don't want to reveal. Like, they're designed mm-hmm. they're designed with boxes and things that, like, don't open until X. Yeah. Gloomhaven. Yeah, because there's plot anything stuff with the word legacy in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're right, and that is that is definitely a problem. But I think those are also cool because it it really is telling a narrative story that you choose at least to some degree. Well, one game that really kind of jumped out at me uh, when it came to you know, talking about this whole idea of story and everything, like yeah, Gloomhaven, because at present, literally everyone in the board gaming world can do nothing but talk about how awesome Gloomhaven is. <laughs> to be clear, I, the box is the size of a crib. If I had $140 just sitting around, I would make it mine too, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't. But the the one game that, that jumps out to me when it's talking about the storytelling and how choices matter and and the the closeness of that to a role-playing game is a game called Time Stories. Mm-hmm. And Time Stories, you get a deck of cards and do not ever shuffle that deck of cards because what that deck is, is you are, you are literally opening up a location using those cards. Those cards are in a very specific order. And the plot of time stories is you are basically time cops going back into history. And in, in some expansions, you're literally jumping dimensions. And you basically you have a, a plot thing to solve there. You know, it goes from everything from, you're going through an insane asylum trying to figure out like a murder to you're trying to survive the zombie apocalypse to there's all sorts of stuff anymore. But literally this game, it says, okay, you've gone back in time. This is what's in front of you. And the cool thing is that the back of the cards is actually a picture of the room you're sitting in. Hmm. So it's almost like a GM's going, this is your room. These are the people in it. Who do you want to talk to? Where do you want to go? Oh, that's cool. And, huh. de- and depending on, on what you do, 
you may find yourself in a time loop and have to go back and you're like, okay, don't pick that one because that one ended badly. We need to go and do this one instead. We need to find this person. And if you don't do it in a, a, a reasonable length of time, you fail. You fail to fix whatever the, the time stream issue was and, and you have to start from the beginning. You have to start from scratch. But I, it's fascinating because it reminds me so much of a role-playing game because, yeah, the GM has a plot. And there are probably multiple ways to get there, and there's probably one that's direct and, you know, the GM thinks it's obvious. But then the players happen, and so there's three other <laughs> paths that are much more complicated, much more difficult, and those are probably going to be the ones that they're going to go. You know, it's kind of interesting listening to to this description. I even found Pandemic to tell a pretty good implied story when I was playing that. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of these games with kind of these explicitly baked in story mechanics, but you don't need that in order for it to really kind of feel story-y. There's, there's a, a game publisher. The game publisher is Portal Games. Specifically, the guy in charge of Portal Games is, is a gentleman by the name of Ignacy Chevichek. Ignacy's an amazing dude. He, every time I'm at a convention and I have my microphone, if I know Ignacy's there, I must get an interview with Ignacy. He's just a fun guy. <laughs> but he actually has uh, multiple editions of a book that he calls Board Games That Tell Stories. And it's basically a breakdown of the process of creating the story, creating the game, testing the game, seeing how the game develops. And even the creation of the game becomes this elaborate story that unfolds before you. And then to actually see that in games that he makes, like Robinson Crusoe, where you're you're all trapped on a deserted island, there may or may not be ghosts. Um, you get things like First Martians, where you are all trapped on Mars and you're trying to build a life for yourself. Uh, the game that I have been playing from Portal recently that has gripped me is a game called Alien Artifacts, where you all take uh, basically this either – I can't even say they're all alien races because some of them are very much just boring old humans. But you are trying to explore the known universe – and trying to get planets to get resources to build ships and, and technologies and everything like that. And yeah, at the end of that game, it's all about getting points. But I promise you, the points are just kind of the, the, the way you quantify all the cool stuff you just did. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. This is one yeah. I haven't heard of, and I'm excited to check it out. Alien Artifacts is fantastic. Uh, the way I've described Alien Artifacts, mostly because it's the way they do it, uh, and I just kind of stole it is that it's a 4X experience. Now, if you're not familiar with board mm. games, 4X, and every time I do this, I forget one of the Xs, so bear with me. Uh, <laughs> it's explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. Ha-ha! Got yep. it. <laughs> well, it's like Civilization or um, Stellaris or something on, you yeah. know, right. in the so video game space. So Alien Artifacts takes what is often an, an incredibly long, very rewarding and challenging uh, games like Eclipse and Twilight Imperium and uh, Through the Ages and stuff like that. You're like, all right, we're, we're settling in. Uh, a game of Twilight Imperium takes between six to eight hours. Uh, <laughs> Alien Artifacts generally takes one. Wow. So it, it is it going to be the same? Not not hardly, but it scratches a lot of the same itches in a much more compact kind of experience. Nice. Yeah. I, I wanted to make a joke about Twilight Imperium. You know, we were saying it takes six to eight hours. And I was like, and then you have to play the game. <laughs> because, You're oh, my wrong. goodness, the setup. You're but not wrong. It's a wonderful experience, but it is a beast. 
But I mean, mm-hmm. anymore, board games are doing crazy things and the the opportunity to really get involved is 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 really interesting. Some of them more blatant than others. The one that I think is very subtle, but it really makes the game for me is a game that I was actually sent. I'll do the, the full disclosure. Uh, I reached out to this developer and I said, you guys are making a game that I must have in my collection now. Please send it to me. <laughs> uh, it's called Barker's Row. And I said, gentlemen, most kids grew up wanting to be firemen or policemen or astronauts. I grew up wanting to be a carnival barker. You have made my <laughs> game. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and, and they're like, well, you sound like the perfect person we want to send this to. <laughs> so they sent me a prototype and I ended up backing the game to get the full version. Uh, Barker's Row added mechanically. It's a simple game. You play a card. You collect certain cards. You get an attraction. You get rubes to fill your grandstand. First person to fill their grandstand wins. It's a fun game mechanically. It's fun. Here's the thing, though. Every card you collect to get an attraction out to your board has a word at the bottom of it. Now, you can just say, I play these four cards and I get this attraction. Or you could say, ladies and gentlemen, hurry, hurry, hurry. I have the most outstanding, phenomenal, ridiculous, in enthralling thing you've ever going to see it is and then you say the name of the attraction Hmm. now i don't know about you that sounds way more entertaining and way more awesome than i play these four cards and put that attraction in front of me right i'm guessing those superlatives are the words at the bottom of the cards are the words at the bottom of the cards (laughs) (laughs) that's very cool that Uh, actually kind of reminds me of um meeple circus in a way meeple circus is fantastic it's so good. I've only gotten to play it like once, but it, it was just so much fun. <laughs> but one one game that's crazy right now and, and the the strangest thing, it feels wrong coming out of my mouth. This is a Walmart exclusive. Oh boy. Huh? I know. It's called Fog of Love. Oh, that's right. I have heard of that. I didn't know it was a it was a Walmart exclusive. It is a Walmart exclusive. I don't know if it's like, about it. it. I don't know if it's only an exclusive for a bit or not, but Fog of Love, you are playing as a would-be romantic couple. And I say would-be because you're just learning to meet each other and to learn who you are. And you're playing personality traits and goals and all sorts of stuff as you are trying to see if this relationship will actually work. That's amazing. You are discovering things about yourselves. And some of them... You, as the player, don't even know about yourself yet. I am going to have to pick that up. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. And it's specifically two-player. It is. Though I've never seen it played that it didn't have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, I can you'll, see that. You'll see people. I mean, at, at some point, like sometimes it's it's rare, but sometimes you'll just get the the idyllic couple where everything works and everything's wonderful. And then other ep- other games are like an episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> it's 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 just an amazingly wonderful thing. And at the same point, it will bring you to the the point where you have to make some really hard decisions. It make it it tries to bring you to a place that actual relationships go to. There are times. When you have one person who is desperately in love with the other person and the other person has a card that says you are literally stringing this person along just because they have money. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Like there's all sorts of stuff like that where you're just like, 
you have to deal with what's in front of you. You have to deal with what's there. But if you're playing the character that these cards have put in front of you, sometimes you have to make decisions that are basically terrible. But you're like, this is what this guy would do. Yep. Huh. That's it's a really super cool. great way to sort of, in a way, bust out of a role playing rut. Like if you're if you've been playing the same characters over and over and over and over and over again, it's a good way to just be like, all right. I guess this time I'm playing a d- Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing just a complete jerk and I just have to roll with it because it's what the cards say. Hmm. Yeah, no, it brings about crazy things. But then if that if that's not your thing cuz it is a little bit more of an elaborate kind of it does take up a good chunk of table. If you want something that's a little more condensed, a little more abstract but has the potential, especially if you go at it with a role-playing game kind of mind. Uh-huh. Uh, I've played a game called And Then We Held Hands. Oh, I've heard of that one, too. I've, I've heard of that one as well. And Then We Held Hands is a is an abstract card game where it, you basically have the, a series of concentric circles. You are trying to, you know, move your little, little token to certain colors to kind of move in and kind of meet in the middle of this board. That's the abstraction. The theme of this is that you are playing as a couple that is literally watching their relationship crumble Hmm. and you are trying to rebuild the relationship. Here's the thing. You can't talk about the game because this is a couple who is having communication problems. There are some people who will play it and literally will not say a word. I'm not that hardcore. I just say we can talk about anything besides what's happening in the game. And another interesting thing is that you can play cards in front of you, but you also can pull cards from the other player. Ooh. There are two games of this that I've played that I use as my description of how if you if you see this game from a particular mindset, it can change the experience. And it's funny because both the people I played these games with did it, they never connected with the theme. But I think as a role-playing player, or a GM, you can see it. You can make that connection. The first game I played this with was, was with my wife. And I ended up almost crying, begging for her forgiveness. And she, because she doesn't connect with theme like that, she doesn't especially care. She's like, what's happening? And I said, you don't understand. In this game, mechanically, you are not allowed to pick up new cards unless you are emotionally balanced. You are not too angry or sad or destroyed or you're not too happy because you're completely ignoring the sadness and pain of your of your partner. You have to be balanced because you have to be in that place to to move forward. I said, "I took 3 of your cards when you were not emotionally in a place where you could you could heal. I stole from you when you had nothing to give me just because I needed to fu- fulfill my goal." I said that was wrong and literally it's why we lost. Hmm. Huh. I I also find it interesting that these these board games that we've talked about, and there's another one that I'm not going to talk about on the mics because it's not safe for work te- too terribly much. I'm going to mention the the title. It's called Consentical, and that's oh, yes. it. That's all I'm going to mention. But oh yeah, I know that one, and uh, no, I, I cannot I link that one in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, don't, no, don't, this don't is, link it that is one. not safe for work for the most part. It is. I, I'm not I'm not going to go further than that. But the ones that we've been talking about that really seem to bridge that gap most heavily between playing a role, literally role-playing, and board gaming are about romantic relationships, which is one of the most 
awkward things in role-playing games. It's, it's something that most people avoid. They avoid it like the plague. And the fact that board games have been able to sort of bridge that gap a little more makes me really happy because one of the best characters I've ever played in a role-playing game was in a romantic relationship with another character in that game. It was one of the most fulfilling role-playing experiences I've ever had. Um, and the fact that most people shy away from that so much, I, I think, is is really regrettable. And, and I, I like that board games are starting to sort of push more in that direction. There's also another... Too. Uh, there's um th- this one's more of a role playing game than a board game, but it involves a Jenga tower and it's called Starcrossed. I just backed it on Kickstarter yep. recently. Yeah, Starcrossed. Uh, yeah, it's put out by somebody close to or part of the One Shot network of shows. Yeah, yeah, they're they're involved with One Shot. Anyway, um, that that one also deals specifically with a relationship in trouble somehow and it also involves a jenga tower and i'm really looking forward to that one yeah i think the the way that i've heard heard or seen it described is basically these are you know you are desperately trying to salvage and maintain a relationship that basically the universe has decreed should never have been yeah like a researcher is in love with an artist and the researcher is about to go to mars and never see anybody ever again yeah stuff like that um it's it's like this this relationship is doomed to fail. And I, I think it's like if the tower falls, then you have to act on your feelings. And it is probably going to mess things up very, very badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's plenty of opportunity to do crazy things with board games if you're willing to make that connection and really dive into the theme. Uh as games have become more and more thematic and, and I won't say less mechanical because my goodness, do they definitely appreciate their mechanisms. But as theme has become more and more important, you'll start to, to really see things that, yeah, you can play these games and just play them and play your cards and move your piece or whatever. But if you're willing to take the extra step to jump in, there's all sorts of craziness that can happen. Uh, the grizzled, is an amazing game. It's a war yes. game that has nothing to do with war. I don't want to say I jokingly do it, because, but I kind of do. I often call it a PTSD simulator. Yeah. Because you are not trying to fight a war. You are trying to mentally maintain your composure um, in the midst of threats of chemical warfare and bullets and sirens and and terrible weather conditions you are literally trying to make sure that when the war ends, you actually survive. Like, yeah, you can do that and just play your cards and say, oh, well, I can't match this symbol of a gas mask with that symbol of a gas mask. Oh, well. But if you take that second to really put yourself in there and to realize what's going on here, I played one game of this where a friend of mine it, it was crazy. We got so wrapped up in the state of our soldiers that she drew the one card that has nothing bad on it. It's a card called Christmas Day. Oh, no, that's that's heart wrenching. She played she got she pulled it and she started crying because she was she's like, I can't I can't believe this game is doing this to me. It's Christmas Day. It's the one day when nothing bad happened, when everybody put their guns down and realized it's Christmas. We're not going to kill each other today. Like, 
that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. You can have things like Freedom, the Underground Railroad, where you are dealing with the systemic problem of slavery. It's not enough to, to bring slaves from plantations in the South to Canada where they'll be free. You also have to use your political and economic influence to literally end slavery. Otherwise, another boat's showing up. Mm-hmm. Arranged comes to mind as well. Again, that gets back yeah. to the marriage and relationship one. I mm-hmm. I desperately want to play that i i heard about it i really want to see that in action because yeah i think that could potentially be craziness uh this war of mine oh gosh this war of mine first started oh first it started out as a biography of a person who was i believe it was in sarajevo Mm -hmm. and it's basically the horrible decisions that you have to make to survive in the middle of what is essentially a siege Yep. And I played the video game. I, I've wept openly playing that video game, especially when they mm-hmm. did, because those monsters did a terrible thing and made a, a bit of DLC that added children. Yeah, I have not been willing to to get that DLC. I have yeah. not, especially now, I've, not now that I've played Frostpunk, because Frost it's made by the same people. Oh, oh, Jenny, oh, Jenny, we're gonna oh. have to we're gonna have to have words about Frostpunk. Oh gosh, we are. It's so. I, I was. Pl- I played it for a good like three hours this afternoon. It's so I was good. Just, like it looks drained. amazing. But but yeah. So this war of mine, the board game. You literally have a little miniature that's a kid, mm-hmm. and you have scenarios like this kid basically like one of your characters dies, and the kid. The first thing that happens when your guy comes home is the kid goes, "Oh, where are they?" Mm-hmm. Oh no. And and you have to somehow come up with a way to tell this small child. That they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. This is a board game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. On a slightly lighter note, there are also the very procedurally generated ones. Yes. And I mm-hmm. love these as well. I think the standout for me is Tales of the Arabian Nights. Yes. Oh, that's just such a ridiculously beautiful game. <laughs> and this is one where, you know, you're sort of seeing a story happen to you. It's, you know, sort of the roll up a random character kind of thing except it's roll up a story and what just happened what what I, happened here there are some <laughs> there are some truly ridiculous things like i i it's hard to me to even list them out because the connections are so tenuous that it doesn't make sense to even say them out loud so i can't even connect them to like remember them but it's things like 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 oh you're you're you find yourself being cornered by a lion do you want to feed it or run away and if you feed it, you end up like having this long conversation about the politics of the realm with this lion who ends up falling asleep. Like, yeah, like it's, I know, it's like the most praying stuff ever. Praying to the lion does something completely unexpected. Yes, you can or pray pr- to the lion. Praying yes. for salvation from the lion, I think is, yes. is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a an interesting game, but it and it comes with just this massive book of okay, you did this thing. Here's what happens as a result here are all of your options and the outcomes go to this you know it's it's crazy <laughs> there there's a number of games anymore that utilize a storybook kind of setting uh mm-hmm. my favorites are the ones put out by red raven games uh above and below near and far um they do really interesting things because you're uh in i don't i don't have near and far yet much to my chagrin but that one actually has a campaign where you're moving through a storybook and as you're going and making decisions it will affect the story and who's in in your party mm-hmm. 
Uh, Above and Below is more worker placement where you're trying to build up this civilization. Basically, the plot of that one is you showed up on this island shipwrecked, basically, and now you have to live. You have to build a civilization again. And part of it is I build – I take my workers and I I recruit more workers and I build this thing. But part of it is also there are these caves and you have to explore them. And when you explore them, you get random story. And my favorite – and I I won't go into spoiler territory. I have no idea what number the story is. There's hundreds of these. So I'm not – you know I'm not going to ruin anyone's day. But there's a series of events that lead to certain special characters. And my favorite one to date, and I have actually gotten him, is through a series of events, there's a cult that worships cats in the caves. And through a series of events, you can get Cave Cat to join your your civilization. (laughs) Sorry, Cave Cat has joined your party? And my favorite thing about Cave Cat is that if you want to try to do anything with Cave Cat, you have to roll the dice. If you roll certain numbers, Cave Cat basically looks at you and says, nah, I ain't doing that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Bar none, one of my favorite things in that game. (laughs) You know, that that reminds me of a game that has been on my two playlist for a very long time. And if we want to talk about blurring the line between a tabletop role-playing experience and a board game, the quiet year. Oh, I yes. You have no idea how badly I want a copy of the quiet year. Has anybody played this? No, nope. I've only heard of it. Okay, it's it's actually kind of hard to get a hold of. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I've been looking. It's it's very difficult to find. But um, the the basic concept is you're in a post apocalyptic ish kind of setting. Although I'm I'm not clear on whether it's like fantasy post apocalypse or. Your standard, you know, post-nuclear, post-bio-warfare, post-modern, dystopia, post-apocalypse sort of setting. I'm not clear. But you've just kind of finished up some disaster and you are rebuilding. You're kind of just drawing on a big piece of paper or like putting stickers down based on cards. You're drawing out a settlement that has a quiet year. It's going to be destroyed because at the end of the year, it's going to be attacked and maybe it'll get run over. But you don't know that. So... You're rebuilding. The closest experience that I've seen to that, besides just playing a quiet year, is a a small indie published uh, video game called The Yog. Have <laughs> you ever ever played The Yog? No, no. The plot line of The Yog is that you have X number of turns uh, before the city is destroyed. This beast called The Yog is coming, and you don't know that it's coming yet. So you're basically living out the last days before the Yogg destroys everything. Huh. And you're basically going about your business, you know, building up your stats. You're discovering new things. You're trying to, uh, you know, come up with neat stuff. And all the while you realize that in a handful of turns, this is all done. There's no way it, it physically does not exist to have any kind of way to save the city. The city will be destroyed. The question is, are you going to be able to rebuild the city after it's destroyed or will you be a casualty? Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We're, we're running up a little bit on time here, but I got to <laughs> ask you about something. Feel free. What about living card games? Do those cross the line for you? Do those end up creating story as you play them? This is 
a this is another example of where I say if you come at this saying I want there to be story here I want to immerse myself and I want to to find something wonderful here if you go in with that mindset you will always find it is it built in is it unavoidable no you can easily play these games very mechanically and just deal right but if you go in with the mindset of I want to make this a thing. I want to feel this story. Then, then yeah, it'll be there. Uh, some of the living card games, there's one that I haven't played because our household has what I refer to as the Cthulhu rule, <laughs> AKA there is no Cthulhu in this house. Mm. That has everything to do. I, as I mentioned very briefly at the beginning, my wife has bipolar and 99.9% of the time, the line between reality and fiction is completely solid but there's that 0.1% of the time. And if she sees Cthulhu in that 0.1, it's not good for any of us. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So that's why we, but, but the Arkham Horror living card game, if the Cthulhu rule didn't exist in this house, I would have all of the, the Arkham Horror living card game because that is basically a Lovecraft novel being played out in card form. Huh. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You build a deck that is pretty much your character it's the stuff you have it's the locations that they live in it's it's all sorts of stuff dedicated to your character and everything else is just playing out the scenario based on what your character brings to it so that one that one writes itself sure but even Mm -hmm. even uh some of the other living card games you have some that are more directly related to role playing as uh l5r Legend yeah. of the Five Rings has a, a living card game these days. Yeah. Where you uh, it's, it's had it for a very long time, really. Well, yes, mm-hmm. but it's it's had a revamp. Yeah, yeah there's been it was various technically also a that. collectible card game before, I believe. Right. And and we're throwing around a lot of words for people who are I've often discovered that there is overlap between the role playing and tabletop board gaming world, but there's it's not a hundred percent. Short version. Collectible card game. Think Magic the Gathering. You buy packs after packs after packs. You may or may not get the card that you want. Living card game basically says you spend 15 bucks. These are the cards you will be getting. You don't, you're not buying individual cards. You are buying sets of cards. Uh, In play, sort of the same way where it's like, if there's a any sort of organized play, it's these are these legal sets or, you know, right. Oh, yeah. Base all, set all versus the- everything. There's there's rules for that where it's like, what do you have versus like, what are you expected to have to play at this tournament? Right. It's it's basically a question of business model. Like the actual play of these games is very similar. The business model of how you obtain the cards is different. So so L5R has, is now a living card game. Uh, uh, Netrunner. Android Netrunner is an amazing game. It's cyberpunk awesomeness. And again, you can play it as, you know, I'm just playing the, the cards, but uh, there are three factions of, of uh, runners and the runners basically depending on how you do it, you've got the shapers, you've got the anarchs and you've got the criminals and those decks have personality. Those factions have personality. And I go through all the different corporations that are on the other side, but there's a lot of them, Mm -hmm. but each one of them has their own personality. You understand 
if you've played that game and immersed yourself in the world that this game takes place in, you understand when I say I'm playing an NBN deck, you know what that means because the, the NBN, aka the, the news broadcasting network of the, of the day, you know that that means I'm going to tag you and I'm going to send in hit squads to go get you because that's what NBN does. NBN basically tags people and, and identifies them so that other people can come along and destroy them. Yeah. And I also got a, a similar sort of immersion with, um, uh, Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born. You've listed there, one of my favorite games and what I was literally going to talk about next because my goodness, <laughs> I, I literally, I'm not kidding. Within arm's reach of me is the newest, uh, the newest deck that I just got. Uh, the character's name is Jericho Kill. And, oh, that's so cool. And Jericho makes me happy because Jericho has a combination of sleight of hand tricks that involve a picture of, of her sitting next to a bunny. Uh, and, and also has elephant riders, which basically says, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to hurt your Phoenix born after I kill you. So, oh, that's so good. That's fantastic. But, but yeah, like each each deck has like a very specific play style that can lend to personality. And I've actually experienced a certain amount of bleed while playing it. So like if I'm playing, uh, oh man, it's been a while since I've played, but there's like this sort of necromancer character. Uh-huh. I find myself cackling when I do certain play combinations that's oh, she's, that she's... I don't do when I'm playing like the cleric type character. So, yeah. so there's definitely a bit of bleed there. It is... That game is amazing on every level. It's my favorite living card game. It's a shame that it is not more popular than it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't actually own it. My boyfriend owns it, and we live very far apart, so I get to play it maybe once every two years the, or so. For, oh, it's so good. And, and here, here will be my plug, partly because I always want more people playing Ashes, and partly because it's, it's literally my favorite living card game. And it also fits with what we're talking about. The thing I love about this particular game, the plot of, of the, the world in which Ashes takes place in is that the Phoenix is dead. The Phoenix being a, a godlike figure in this world. The Phoenix died and basically the power of the Phoenix was basically absorbed by a number of individuals. And yes, kids, we're talking Highlander like scenarios because all the Phoenix born are trying to kill the other Phoenix born so that they can have more power of the Phoenix. Now, you'll have some ca- some characters are like, look, I don't care about this. Yeah, I have this power, but I just wanted to defend my people. And their decks reflect that. You have other people, like the one that Jenny was mentioning, <laughs> yeah. who are twisted and wrong and play cards like Blood Puppet and <laughs> yep. and are are just literally out to destroy everyone because they want the power of the phoenix and so they are much more aggressive decks. And personally my I, I haven't played Jericho yet to test her out to see if if that's going to be my newest one. But uh my currently mine mine is uh Rin. His deck is called the Giants of Frostdale and Rin basically has ice bears. Ah <laughs> and and Rin's whole deal is is that I don't need a lot of people. I'm just going to make every person I have a lot stronger than yours. He has ice golems <laughs> and ice bears, and he has like there's a smile across his his character card that makes me happy every time I look at it. <laughs> and so, but like the box itself comes with some. I think it's like seven, like six. It's either s- six or seven decks in the box. 
Yeah, you get a huge amount of replayability and and it's just so many combinations of characters and stuff. It's it's a really good starter and you don't even have to move beyond just like the starter decks to have fun over and over and over again. Huge replayability. And, and again, like I, I've played every character in the starter box plus a couple of characters that I've bought since then, all of whom, like I said, when you buy that expansion, you buy the entire deck of that character. Mm-hmm. So I've played all the base guys and a couple other ones, and I still want more because I I love this game so much. <laughs> but literally, if you look into the stuff that's happening with these characters and the personalities of these characters, their decks make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. These are not just randomly conjured together stuff that's like, oh, we should have a character that does this. Well, all right, let's make these cards that do that. Like, it fits within the world. It fits within, you know, what they're doing. Uh, there's there's one guy who is is he's fun to play if you know if you know what you're doing. His name's Cole Rorquind. And Cole, he's one of the guys who basically says, I don't give a crap about this. I just want to protect my people. Cole's summoning is called the Iron Rhino. I'm looking at the Iron Rhino right now. Like, literally, as you said the words Iron Rhino, I scrolled down to look at the Iron Rhino card. (laughs) The Iron Rhino is basically a testament to, look, man, I don't want to hurt you, but dang it, I'm gonna if you want to do this. (laughs) Yeah. It is slow and expensive, and it will destroy you. (laughs) Yep. But honestly, like, all of the characters in that game, I could probably work some stuff in D&D 5e to just make them super high-powered oh yeah player characters in a role-playing game huh. it would not it would not take too it would not take too much work to literally yeah. put stats on these people because they're so yeah. well defined yeah and I just I just love this game so much it's so good <laughs> that sounds awesome mm-hmm Someday, when I have other gamers that live close enough to me to play with, I might consider getting something like this. You know, I I hesitate to bring this up as a topic of conversation, but there are things like Tabletop Simulator and there are online versions of these games. And those are and, and I can I'm a, I, I will testify that the the Tabletop Simulator version of Ashes is quite good. Oh, good. There we go. I want to wrap up with a very quick question, and I want to try and keep this short because I know <laughs> it's late for you as well. How do you find the right point on the spectrum on this this story versus gameplay spectrum? And not and maybe that to suggest that there is a spectrum is kind of implying a, a give and take that maybe isn't necessarily there. But there are games with, with with more story and more emotion and less. Is it just a matter of like trying things until you find out something you like or what? I will basically say that with board games, it's the same as a role playing game. You have to to play with people who know what they're getting into. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I'm the first one that like, there, there are a lot of games on my shelf, literally next to me within arm's reach that I can say, yeah, the theme is entirely pasted on. This is just a mechanically awesome experience. And I just really enjoy playing it at, you know, at the same point, I have other things that, you know, I've, I've already been gushing about. That's like, oh my goodness, I want to just be drenched in the theme of this awesomeness. I'll give you uh, here. I can actually use a game that we've talked about to explain this, to to give you the example. For the longest time, when I started getting into board games, Once Upon a Time was my favorite game, but I always had to give a caveat. Once Upon a Time is the greatest game I was playing with the right people. (laughs) Because 
at the end of the day, there is a winner of Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. And so I've discovered that the people who cared about winning Once Upon a Time made Once Upon a Time a terrible experience. Because what would happen is, is that you get stories that, you know, when people don't care about who wins, it's all about, oh, let's talk about this epic and this and this and introduce characters that have nothing to do with any card in my hand and this and everything just because it's great. Right. If you care about winning, I actually had this happen. I, I could almost like it scarred me so much. I can actually remember a number of the cards he played. There was a giant who lived in a forest in the castle and he captured a princess and he married the princess and then he got to his end line. I can't remember exactly what his end line was. I win. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I'm like, I, I, I honestly looked at him and said, I'm never playing this game with you ever again. Yeah. And, and it's because of the, you have to know who you're playing with and what they're looking to get. It's the same thing with a role playing game where you're like, if you want somebody that that's all about, you know, getting into the battle and doing that stuff. If you have a, three session story arc that's about political intrigue you've lost them so you have to know or at least have that conversation with the people you're playing it's why when when i run a game day i always tell people what what are you looking for what do you want to play you need to to know what they want to get out of this scenario to figure out how deep you want to go like i said with and then we held hands i'm being just emotionally wrecked and and my wife's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> like like that's that's just how this works. It's it. There's no there's there's no like catch all. Like this is how you figure it out. It literally comes down to have the conversation with the people you're playing with, and seeing what they're trying to get out of it. Right. Okay. Any other games we want to touch on real quick? <laughs> How long None that wouldn't have? involve like another hour of talking about it. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah. In that case, we should probably wrap this up. Mike, mm-hmm. it's been good having you on, man. Thank you. It's, it is it's a been pla- great to meet you and talk with you. It is a it's pleasure so as fun. always, and I look forward to coming back 33 episodes from now. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. I was worried we had this, you know, backlog of like guests on and it kind of snuck up on me because I, you know, and I, you had a kid and you know, new kid. And it's like, you know. We might drop the ball and not get him on for episode 132. And then Peter just kind of messages me practically out of the blue. Got him lined up. <laughs> yeah. We're on track. My- Peter, Peter right. the, that message basically involved, hey, Mike, it's 33 episodes. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a very involved conversation. Would that they were all so easy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like, you know what this means, Mike. It, You're it, obligated. It's, just let's it's figure out how episode. to make this it's, happen. And it, it, it's, it's just like the beacons were lit and Gondor called for aid. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, Mike, I'm just going to send you saving the game business cards like you know, the rest of us have. But instead of anything else, it's, you know, like saving the game, Mike Perna, hashtag every 33. Every 33. That's all it is. <laughs> Good times. All right. Mike, uh, where can people find all the cool stuff you do on the internet? Uh, the the to to save all of the different links and all of the different craziness, go to our main website, which is Inroads Ministries i n n Roadsministries dot com. There you will find everything: our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Instagram, 
all the different podcasts we do, you will also see Saving the Game because I still love the fact that when we started down this road, I said, hey, guys, we should do something. And y'all are like, here's our RSS feed. Do you want to syndicate on on your site? And I said, yes, please. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, that that's where you can find pretty much everything else. So that is a one-stop shop. You can find Game Store Profits there. You can find Bard and Bible there. Everything's there. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Always a delight. <laughs> yeah. I got a bunch of Bard and Bible to go listen to. I, I have a backlog to catch up on. So we're going to wrap it up here. <laughs> From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.